Welcome to the podcast, How to Be a Boss at Aging. This week, we talk all about the perimenopause and I'll be interviewing Maisie Hill, who's written a brilliant book called Perimenopause Power. And basically, perimenopause is one of those things that a lot of women just don't really understand, myself included. So when does it start? Is it the bit just before menopause or is it even post-menopause? The long and the short of it is that we don't really talk about these things enough. And so a lot of women suddenly hit their 40s and find that they might be experiencing symptoms of perimenopause, but just put them down to other things like feeling tired or a bit grumpier than than usual. So um, the discussion with Maisie is really interesting. Um, Certainly thinking about things like being more aware of your cycle, which I've not really been very good at. I've always looked at these um, period tracker apps and stuff and and not really bothered with them because sort of felt like it was another thing that I had to do. But now I'm starting to think that if I could understand my cycle better, I probably would understand why I'm feeling certain pressures at different times of the month um, and why suddenly I can start crying for no apparent reason, which happens quite frequently. So it is quite empowering if you can think about actually understanding your cycle better rather than it just totally flummoxing you um, every month. So we do talk about that. Um, We also talk about Maisie's time in New York. God, I always wanted to live in New York, but I never got the opportunity to. And sometimes I wonder whether maybe I could be an old lady in New York. Um, that's quite an appealing idea. So perhaps that's something I can look forward to being having a little flat. They're very expensive, though, in New York and uh, charging around the place. Maybe not actually, maybe just pushing a shopping trolley and being slightly eccentric, um, wearing very colourful clothes and telling people to bugger off uh, when I don't like them. Um, so that's that's how I've mapped out my future. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the interview and I'll be back at the end and I'll speak to you then. Ta-da! Well, I'm excited because um, it's funny, I've got Maisie Hill on um, today's podcast and I feel like our paths have kind of crossed but not quite crossed I mean I think by saying that I mean that I've kind of observed you on social media I've read your book um, well I've read your first book and I've started to read the second one and I think I've sort of you've been one of those people that I've been like oh I can't wait to sort of talk to you a bit more about this whole world of hormones really and our bodies and our cycles and all that good stuff. It's interesting I was looking a bit at your bio and I saw that you'd got a really interesting sort of past in that you'd worked in a was it a parrot shop in New York and you used to work in a bar. <laughs> I was thinking because I always like to think I'm quite eclectic and I can say that I've done all these peculiar things but I don't think I can compete I don't think I can compete with the parrot shop in New York. That's so funny that you picked those things out. Yeah, I actually did when I launched my podcast recently, a kind of true or false game of like finding the lie in my like checkered history. (laughs) But yes, I have worked in a parrot shop in New York when I lived there. And I used to manage a rock bar in Soho in London. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So it kind of took me a while to find my path in life. I I gave a few things a go before I got here. And what was it like? I mean, we'll move on to your your most your sort of most recent book. But what was it like living in New York? Because that's another thing that I think when I'm probably on my deathbed, one of the things I'll be sort of ruining is the fact that I never lived there. I've been there quite a few times, but never lived there. Was it all you kind of uh, you kind of think it will be? Yes. I mean, I just walked out. I went there on holiday and walked out of the subway station and within two minutes went, 
I want to live here. So yeah, in various ways, it ended up happening. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I feel like I really got to kind of get a sense of who I was. And but eventually, you know, I wanted to really get into this work around hormones and things. And it felt like the best place to be was in the UK to do uh, all that amazing training and to really get my practice up and running and get that all important clinical experience and things. So I was glad that I went there, but I was also glad to to come back. Mm, it's funny. I sort of, I have this, whenever I think of New York, I get that um, that song in my head, which is uh, in New York, you know, the one that's yeah. the, who is it? Is it Jay-Z and what's her face? Um, oh, oh, I can't remember. But I, I sort of, I sort of see an image of kind of a woman walking down a very busy street with sort of skyscrapers and she's got a coffee in one hand and maybe she's got big shoulder pads on and she's hailing a taxi and it's kind of it's a load of cliches basically it's just from <laughs> what I've gleaned from watching various TV programs um, I'm sure you didn't have massive shoulder pads did you? I didn't but there are a lot of really great vintage shops there so, mm. but I didn't, I didn't go for the shoulder pads, no. No, I used to find that whenever I went there, that I had to go into the chemist in the pharmacy. I used to love the pharmacies there because they were so big. Yeah. Um, and, but my feet were always so sore because everyone seemed, well, I used to walk and walk and walk and walk and then get lost and walk some more. And then I would end up with kind of... Um, really sore feet so I'd have to go in and get those inner soles the kind of cushioned inner soles this is how exciting I am <laughs> I'd get the uh, the cushioned inner soles and I think I went into one of the pharmacies and Philip Seymour Hoffman was there you know the actor yes. um, sadly yeah. he's passed away now but I remember thinking why is it that I'm standing next to a Hollywood actor and I'm purchasing Something a pair of skull <laughs> inner soles and he's like sort of staring at me and I'm thinking we should be somewhere much more glamorous than this. I wanted to ask a little bit because your first book focused very much on on sort of understanding your periods and your cycles and now your your next book is very much focused on perimenopause and I wondered why was it that you were drawn to that particular because it's, it's funny it's still one of those areas which people are starting to talk about but it's still not really I mean I just did a little straw poll with some of my friends many of them were kind of like I don't really know what perimenopause is um, so what was it that kind of drew you to that particular area? Well let's face it I'm heading there myself I'm like tiptoeing my way in and also after Period Power came out, I just had so many messages from women saying, I've read your book. It's amazing. Can you please write something about perimenopause? Because I think that's where I am. I'm not really sure. I'm very confused about what I should be doing. And what about HRT? And what are your thoughts on this? And can you just please put something together that will explain what the fuck's going on? And I was like, and I just got so many messages from women asking me like what happens next that at one point I was actually considering that as a title because there was just so many people asking and, you know, I'm 40 now, uh, lots of my friends are in their 40s and, you know, even some in their late 30s and starting to experience those hormonal fluctuations that indicate that they are at the beginning or very firmly in perimenopause but often people don't even realize and I think this is such a huge part of the conversation is like we need to have this awareness early on so that a hopefully we can make some decisions ahead of time rather than waiting till we're in the thick of it and having a really hard time to make decisions about what we want for our health and our lives. Mm, it's so interesting because I'm in my late 40s so I just turned 48 so 
And I, um, I had obviously, through being on the Hotbed podcast, we'd done some work around talking to people about menopause. And so I'd sort of got the whole term menopause clocked up. And then I spoke to my mum and I was like, oh, you know, uh, when did you get menopause? And she said, oh, I think I was in my late 50s. So mentally, I just went, all right, that's OK. Menopause is going to be in about another 10 years. Um, so and I'm in complete denial. And then I started reading some of your book and I was looking at some of the symptoms that you'd listed of perimenopause and you know there were things like kind of well things like rage and anxiety there were psychological symptoms like that maybe feeling depression or mood swings insomnia and then another one that you'd listed I think was kind of heart irregularities or heart palpitations I was thinking bloody hell I think I've got quite a lot of these symptoms but because I'm not familiar with perimenopause as a term particularly I'd kind of just thought well you know I'll carry on as I am and then I'll suddenly my periods will stop and I might get a bit sweaty and that'll be me you know um, is that quite a common perception yes, do you think that's what I was about to say you're, you're not alone in that experience because when we talk about menopause it's actually just one day menopause menopause only lasts for one day because you it marks the one year anniversary from your last menstrual period so the average age for that is 51 in the UK but after that one day you're postmenopausal so commonly we're talking about menopause and actually what we mean is perimenopause and perimenopause is just the time before your period stops so you're still having a cycle but you're starting to experience maybe a change in the length of your cycle and symptoms perhaps just to begin with around the start of your period so a lot of my clients in their late 30s and early 40s start to notice changes like maybe their cycle's just getting a bit shorter and it's you know down to like 26 days 25 days but they're also getting symptoms around the time of their period like anxiety or night sweats trouble sleeping you know and this is the camp that I'm in so you start to get that little bit of variation and then that just becomes more significant usually with time. It's interesting because um, I spoke to another, um, there's somebody on Instagram, Dr. Becky Quick, who's the menopause psychologist. And I, I interviewed her because she focuses a lot on the kind of psychological um, sort of issues that you face up to sort of less the kind of I mean you, you address that in the book as well is that it's kind of almost like a time of reckoning because you've got all of this stuff going on physically but then and the problem is is that it's quite difficult to kind of determine how much of, of, of the stuff is you getting to a certain age reflecting on your life reassessing kind of what's happened perhaps mourning some of the things that have passed and thinking about the future and then how much of that is also informed by the physiological stuff that's going on because you mentioned kind of anxiety and rage and stuff is it also I mean obviously the hormonal changes are kind of shaping that aren't they to a certain extent they are to an extent and I think you know it's a really common desire to be able to separate these things out and to say this is hormonal this is because of my life situation at the moment and this is what's gone on in the past and we all want to make it a neat experience like that but we can't actually do that you know because really your life always shows up in your cycle and your cycle always shows up in life and you know that's been proved it really true this past year with us all living in lockdown we really see the impact of that so it's it all matters, it all counts. And yes, what's going on hormonally can kind of push certain issues to the forefront and, you know, and perimenopause can be a very confronting time, but it's it can also be a really powerful time because the issues that we've put up with for years, the behavioral tendencies we've had for years, suddenly we're like, oh, what 
am I doing? This is just a load of shit. It's time to sort this out. So you're completely right. It is a time of reckoning, but it can also be hugely positive. Like a lot of the work that I do with my clients in the flow collective is really around like boundaries, being able to say no, being able to prioritize yourself without feeling guilty about the other things in your life. And, you know, I'm a big fan of things like magnesium, which can really help, particularly during like perimenopause. But you can take all the magnesium in the world, you can do all these other things, but if you're not addressing the root issues of the problems or perceived problems in your life, then you're only going to get so far. So it's really important that we think about this in terms of hormonal support, lifestyle strategies and mindset and saying no way more often than we do. It's so interesting because I mean I've written um, I'm going to do a little plug for my book now which is a bit nauseating but I've written a book called How to Be a Boss at Aging and essentially it's kind of about the fact that I came to last year and I think you've said that in lockdown a lot of women were already reaching that point because we had to stay at home that we kind of like what the hell do I want out of life what is going on and I found that sort of mid 40s for me so sort of 45 onwards all those things like sort of wanting to say no wanting to also just uh I guess acknowledged that there were things I really didn't like about my life and my life situation and that if I was going to continue on I didn't want them to continue um, you know I needed to sort of reassess where I was going and I like the idea I think that because the problem is that sometimes it can feel a bit doom and gloom the whole aging thing is just it's a mess you know because we're we're supercharged with all these images of women that look a certain way who almost don't acknowledge that they're aging you know when I I, I love Jane Fonda, for example, but I do sometimes have to pinch myself that she's in her 80s, you know, and I sort of think, oh, it just feels so tiring that we're expected to keep on this treadmill of kind of looking. At, we don't have to stay on it, obviously, but there's kind of like a busyness and a kind of hustling and a, a kind of lifestyle. Um, yeah, so I'm very anti-hustle. I'm glad like, to hear that. Literally, I hate the word. Yeah, literally every client session I do, every coaching call I do in the Flow Collective, hustling will come up. And it's just, it doesn't do our hormones any favors whatsoever. And we're all very familiar with it. You know, that context switching all day, you know, particularly at the moment, like, you know, you're being a teacher to your child at one moment, then you're being a mum, then you're being a partner. And, you know, in between that, trying to get your work done and maybe then thinking about your role as a daughter to aging parents and concerned friends. So we're really always doing this kind of rapid context switching, which is just no good for our brains and no good for our hormones. So it's really important that we notice when we are hustling. And usually that hustle, it can come down to like things like people pleasing and being very concerned about what other people think of us or feeling like we've agreed to something and now we have to go through with it and like hustling to get it done rather than going, actually, I said yes to this and that was a mistake. Let me see what I can do. I'm actually going to say no to this. And there can also be this, like, because often in early perimenopause, the cycle speeds up. So it gets shorter. So you're kind of being whizzed round the cycle and that kind of hormonal ebb and flow. So that can be there actually literally kind of speeding you up, but it can also be there, as you said, because it is that time when we like really looking at our lives and, and where we are and perhaps kind of measuring ourselves up internally or externally and thinking, well, hold on, 
there are things I want to do here that are important to me because also our 40s is often a time when we, you know, maybe our kids are a little bit older and we can like start to return to us rather than it always being about other people. And eventually our hormones take care of that for us anyway, because once our hormone levels start to lower, we generally care less about others anyway. Oh, that's interesting. I've not, so well, almost that kind of um, maternal, some some people might say almost martyrism, you know, of always putting that kind of, when your hormones change, do you get less of that drive perhaps? Yes, there is. And this is like my clients who have gone through menopause already are like, you know, that's one of the best things about the menopause transition is you don't give a shit about other people like you have done for the past, you know, three or four decades or however long. So, you know, that is the, one of the wonderful benefits of going through this process. But it's important that we do that work before then, because if we don't, it can really drive some of the hormonal issues and the stress response and all these things like that. And, you know, yes, there can be a, things that we want to lean into, like you mentioned, your podcast, your writing, and, you know, it's the same for me with mine, but we have to look at the, where we are doing that from. They don't necessarily have to change, but like addressing our approach to them and making sure that it is more centered and, you know, clear and that we are making decisions often involving the other humans in our life to ensure that we can actually do the things that are important to us. And that's what I spend a lot of time working on. Mm, that's so interesting. If And if somebody's coming to the whole area of kind of trying to understand their hormones better and be, because I, I mean, I've, I've mentioned this before, but that idea that we're not particularly in touch with our bodies, you know, we kind of have our brain and, and then our body is kind of like, I mean, I, I'm still in this situation, unfortunately, where my period will come completely unexpectedly. Um, you know, I don't, you know, even, even years ago, I didn't, I didn't get into tracking my cycles and I've, it's been on my to-do list. That sounds awful doesn't it but kind of on the on the mountain of things next to kind of like muscle out garden and throw trampoline out and you know all of that stuff there's kind of like I, I need to understand that better what's the first rung on the ladder do you think in terms of just getting better equipped to sort of understanding where you are hormonally oh well if that's where you are that you know if let's say you're not tracking your cycle at all you've got no idea what's going on and where you're at then it's really important to just make it really simple and the best way to do that is just to literally stick it on your calendar when you start your period or to use an app, that kind of thing, just so you can get a sense of the dates and what's going on. And then from there, there's a, like a very simple uh, cycle tracker that people can download for free from my website, maisiehill.com. And on there, you can just like note down a, one word or two a day that might be to do with how you're feeling or particular symptoms that you're experiencing. And from there, you can start to get a sense of is there a pattern to this? Often there is. It can be a bit trickier in perimenopause when it can be a bit like swings and roundabouts, but it's all information and that data is really important for you and your understanding of things, but also in any communication that you're having with healthcare professionals, because you can actually say, these are the days when I get palpitations or these are this is when I have trouble sleeping or I'm getting night sweats this many days of my cycle or I've noticed my cycle's getting a lot shorter or a lot longer or whatever the case may be. 
So it's just important information to have to hand. And do you find generally, because obviously maybe the first port, port of call might be going to the GP, mightn't it? Or, you know, at the moment that's quite tricky, but I suppose getting an appointment in, maybe having a phone consultation with your GP. I had a couple of friends who have done that and they sort of reported back. Well, one of them was actually saying that her GP had recommended that she um, have an antidepressant. So he gave her an antidepressant um because she was having trouble sleeping and she was getting anxiety. And she's still um, relatively young in that she's 42, I think. And she was kind of like, oh, so I think, you know, he's given... And I was sort of thinking, oh, is that is that right? Or, or you know, is that not really un- addressing the fact that she might be in, you know, have perimenopause? It's kind of... Do, do you hear that story quite often? Time and time again. It's... I mean, I just want to bang my head against a wall anytime I hear that story because it's so enraging because the NICE guidelines, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence, their guidelines are that using antidepressants to treat what is essentially perimenopausal symptoms is not appropriate and that women, if anything, should be offered hormonal support. So, but I find that, you know, there's a few issues going on here. There can be the lack of education or miseducation of GPs who I love them but they are stretched and you know they're not generally very educated when it comes to to perimenopause and uh, other reproductive health issues sometimes so that can be going on but then there's also (sighs) women are understandably nervous about HRT and taking hormones you know and there's a huge there's so much so many myths around the use of HRT uh, HRT, and we can get onto that in a moment. But often women are nervous about taking HRT, but feel more comfortable taking antidepressants. So even if their GP, you know, does present it as an option, they're perhaps more likely to go along with it because it seems less scary. And I would actually absolutely question that. But often you can end up with a situation where someone is anxious, they're having trouble sleeping, so they're prescribed an antidepressant. Maybe their joints start to hurt, so they're prescribed painkillers. And then maybe they have something else going on that they're prescribed another medication for. So they end up on three types of medication when actually what they need is some hormones that would take care of all of that, most likely. And why is it? I mean, obviously, HRT, um, I've done a little bit of research into it. And certainly when you talk, um, and it, you know, when you talk to people, other women, there is still this perception that there's um, obviously the link with breast cancer, which I know you do talk about in in the book. But that's almost the first thing that often comes up is like, oh, I'm not sure if I'll do it because there's there's that that happens, um, and then almost just dismissing it out of hand without delving in any further. Is that the primary fear that women have, or is it? And, and actually, another thing that people sometimes say is they say, oh, it's not it's not natural. That's not nat-. you know, I'm worried about the chemicals, or you know, it doesn't fit. Almost like there's kind of a natural way and then a an unnatural way um, yeah. yes. in terms of the path. Yeah. So basically, the, the, the quick version of that is it's all a load of rubbish. So HRT, uh, a lot of the headlines that we have seen around HRT that's to do with an increased risk of breast cancer, you know, it's always really scary. Like it doubles your risk of breast cancer and doubles your risk of heart disease, these kinds of things. Most of the time... Those newspaper headlines are using data from a research study, a large research study that was done like over 20 years ago. First start it was different forms of HRT than what is prescribed now, but also the actual research study was flawed. And I get into the details of that in the book. But the data was then also 
analysed incorrectly. So there's like lots of issues around that, but still headlines reference this this large study. So I've like really looked at it, really researched it and basically said, this is just a load of nonsense. I can't believe when you say to me that it was 20 years ago, because I just think it's insane, isn't it? Like if you think about how much has changed in that period of time, why aren't any recent studies going on or are they in motion at the moment? Well, this is, and there are more recent studies, but you know, they the newspapers don't tend to favour the results that have come from them. But also there can be, you know, so say now if a research study was done that analysed the data of lots of previous studies, they would still include that large study. And because of the numbers and the volume of data that that study collected, that would kind of cause a bias in things. And, you know, the the bottom line is there's lots of research now talking about how safe HRT is, but, you know, that doesn't sell newspapers. It's, um, I mean, the problem is, isn't it? Like if you already think that we're quite anxious anyway about perimenopause and mm. menopause, and then you're having those news stories um, being fed in, um, it's just going to amplify that. And this sense of kind of, I think there's just a sense of general confusion, which I suppose is why people need to read your book, actually, is just yeah. to try and get a clear lay of the land because there's so much misinformation out there. There is, there's so much misinformation. And that's, you know, a big driver for me in writing the book and why I didn't want to wait to to write the book um, any longer because it's really important that we dispel those myths so that women can make positive decisions and not be confused about it and just get really clear. Like I'm now in a position that I've made these decisions ahead of time. So now I'm just waiting for the point where I'm like, yes, I'll have some progesterone, please. Yes, it's time for some estrogen. Also, I'm going to do these other things as well. But, you know, it's it's not a big deal to me. And that's what I really want Uh, people who read my book to go away with as well because it's you know the stories that I hear from my clients I was actually just speaking to someone yesterday about their experience because they like you have been experiencing heart palpitations and you know heart palpitations are a red flag they most of the time they're harmless but they need to be checked out by a medical professional and she's been to I think she said her GP twice and she's seen two separate cardiologists and had had her heart looked at and everything and all along she was going I'm pretty sure this could be because I'm perimenopausal and none of them have listened to her and I was speaking to her yesterday and she was just you know infuriated that she has this very strong sense of what's going on but she's not being listened to and also not really knowing how to approach it with her GP because she really doesn't feel like she's being listened to. And she has been feeling unsure about what her next steps might be. And, you know, like you just mentioned, her whole thing with HRT is, but it causes breast cancer. So, you know, this is a very common scenario for women to find themselves in. It's so interesting because you're you're making me feel I've sort of put off finding out about it and I've had them for I've been in a similar scenario where I went in and had a EC is it an ECG? Yeah, I had yeah. a I had one with my um with one of the nurses in our GP practice and it was completely normal. But the irony was that in that I could tell because they come and go. So like the funny thing is I've, I'm experiencing them now, but then in that particular day, I hadn't got them. They tend to be worse in, in the evening or they're more noticeable in the evening. And she said, oh, you're absolutely fine. And there was a little bit of this kind of implication that, I don't know, almost like you're just being a bit neurotic, yes. you know, because yeah. also I had a child relatively recently. So I felt this was probably a year ago that I had had it done certainly before COVID all broke out. And so the kind of attitude, I think, was kind of like, oh, it's just post-baby 
sleep deprivation or you know you're just a, you're just being a bit kind of hysterical and and women are still sort of I think you're you're made to feel sort of a bit self-indulgent or silly to have these concerns aren't you when you when you come to the doctor yep I hear it all the time and you know particularly when we're talking about postpartum because the thing is when someone's having palpitations yes it can be due to the changing hormone levels in perimenopause but it can also be due to thyroid dysfunction which is you know gets more common as we age it's more common in females than in men and it's also common after having a baby so you know there's lots of reasons to look at what could be going on hormonally as well as other things like anemia and nutrient deficiencies caffeine anxiety these kind of things but you know to just write it off and again it happens all the time as like oh I think yeah you're being a bit neurotic here a bit worried a bit anxious have an antidepressant let's take your worries away and it just dismisses what's going on it's so unhealthy yeah, yeah well you've kind of inspired me now to go back again and I suppose it's the, the difficulty is the time that we're having this discussion in is that we're we're kind of I know we've not been encouraged um, to dismiss it, but we kind of feel like maybe we can't go to the doctor as much as normal because of what's happening. Yeah. And this is something that we have to like just decide for ourselves that we are going to do these appointments because I think it's tendency throughout our reproductive years to put ourselves last. And it's really important, especially once we're in perimenopause and getting older, that we learn to put ourselves first and to speak up and to say, look, I'm having a hard time with this. I need to see someone. And Yes, currently the NHS is, you know, stretched and they are doing an amazing job, but that doesn't mean to say that we can't make requests. I wanted to just, I'm, I'm conscious of time, I wanted to wrap up a bit, but I was interested, um, I mean, you, your book, obviously, you use the word power, you know, sort of power in a positive way. And so despite the fact that it's a really challenging time and there's all these different things going on and perhaps we're not being taken seriously by our GP and society at large is sort of feeding us scare stories and it can be quite a kind of, yeah, quite a kind of discombobulating is the word I love the most. It's kind of that's kind of time. What is the power within it too? If we come back to that again, is it the fact that we can finally be more of our authentic selves, cast away all the shit that we usually accept. Is it that kind of thing? It is all of that. So it's things like finally putting ourselves first, our needs, our desires, finding our voice, speaking up about the things that we're not happy about. I mean, this one is huge. You know, the stuff that we've just been swallowing up and putting up with for decades. And suddenly could be to do with your hormones, could be to do with the context of your life. It gets to the point where it's just like, no, enough is enough here's what I would like for my life and, you know, being really vocal about that. And But I think the first step is to just be able to do that for you, then be able to communicate it with those around you. And, you know, some of my clients are doing this in their workplaces now as well and just being really upfront and saying, look, I'm perimenopausal. Here's what's going on. On these days, I'm going to need to do this or do that. And just being really upfront and vocal about it and Obviously, for some people, that will feel more doable than others. But I think, you know, in the same way that uh, periods have come to the forefront in recent years and we're really starting to see changes there, the same um, is happening for perimenopause, which is why I believe in perimenopause power. Mm, that's such a lovely thought. I think 
you know, I was I I know that often once women come out the other side as well. Having interviewed um, Sam Baker, wrote a, a yes. great book called The yeah, Shift. The Shift and, yeah, yeah. And um, I spoke to her, and she was kind of like on the other side. It's actually quite nice, you know. Like once you've you know the, you've got the perimenopause, you've got the menopause, and then you sort of come out the other side, and then you have this kind of real like I don't I don't care what other people think about me as much. I'm focused on me, um, you know, within reason, without being too sort of selfish. And um, and you kind of yeah. But this that, is what I would question: this whole without being selfish thing. Yeah, it's funny. I, I just think it's it a load that. of shit. Mm. <laughs> to be honest, because we just socialized into this again and again and again. And I think this is also one of the gifts of, of perimenopause and going through the transition is that we don't qualify it like that. Yeah. Well, you know what it is? It's because I think, um, and you know, you've got, you know, being a mum as well, I've got this inbred kind of, because my kids are still quite small, you know, I, I have this kind of thing of when I'm doing my stuff and focusing on me, I still sort of have this little voice going, oh, you're being a bit selfish now because you need to go off and, and do your mum your mum stuff. And there's always this kind of juggle, this kind of battle going on in your head of kind of this is this is me and my stuff that I want to do. But then there's the stuff that I should be doing, which is like at the moment I can hear a lot of thumping going on because there's a kid upstairs doing homeschool, probably jumping up and down. And you feel sort of torn. And one of the things I've noticed, interestingly, is that a lot of may well, this I'm generalising, but sometimes the, the father has less of that sense of you know I've noticed that with some of my friends when they're doing this whole working from home business the the dads quite happily launch themselves up into the top room shut the door come down for lunch go back up again come back down in the evening whereas when I speak to women they're often going I'm bloody working at the kitchen table with two children at the same time and constantly feeling this awful struggle between the mum self and the kind of the me that wants to do my stuff self so my thoughts on that is because I was actually coaching one of my clients earlier on this week about this very thing. Also oh, right. got kids probably the same age as yours, actually. And, you know, she's trying to carve out time to do her work amidst the lockdown scenario. And I was talking with her and what we were talking about that maybe might be helpful to you, Anarchy, was that I think a lot of this, if we're going to address it, we have to be more willing to be uncomfortable in the short term in order to have a long-term result. So with her, I was speaking about how she has to be willing to feel uncomfortable in conversations with her partner about the mental load and about the bulk of emotional labor in their family and the practical caregiving stuff, because that was really the thing that was holding her back from having that conversation was being nervous about it and, you know, her tr stress response being triggered. So we w talked about how to actually work through that and her, and to be willing to build that muscle of feeling uncomfortable in a conversation and also the willingness to just say, look, if there's not a fire in the house, then leave me, that door stays shut until I'm done and to, and to be kind of building this muscle in these different areas so that, you know, our time is protected because I've had to go through this all myself. I also, you know, have no. a partner, have a four-year-old. We both have our own businesses. He runs a community radio station in Margate. You know, I have the book. So there's all these things going on. But I think it's just really important to know that uh, we can change things for ourselves and then hopefully society is going to catch up. It's, it is. Soon. It's getting over that whole um, martyrdom as well of kind of, you know, 
do it, taking it all on and then just endlessly complaining about it and then never, ever taking the steps, I guess, to address it or, you know, um, to talk about it. Listen, Maisie, thanks so much for, for chatting. We've covered so much stuff and I'm going to carry on reading your book and you've actually made me think I need to be a bit more, this whole idea of the fact that I sort of think that I'm classifying myself as being selfish or putting myself last it's an interesting one because I think before catching up with you I probably would have said I'm not that kind of person I'm kind of fairly good at putting myself forward but I think I've got a lot lot of work to do still yeah Um, and I think this is this is why I love the work we do inside my membership the flow collective because this work is ongoing you know we kind of get it sorted in one area of our life and then it shows up in another but it's important that we address it because we're doing it for us, but we're also doing it for our daughters and the future generation. And that to me is why all of this work, whether it's my book or the work I do with clients, um, it's thinking about us, but also thinking about really changing things. Mm. And where do people, so people can go to your website. Is that the best port of call to find out more about what you're offering and your books? Yeah. So if you go to maisiehill.com, then you can find out about the Flow Collective. You can download the Cycle Tracker to get going with doing that. And of course, I've got the Period Power podcast as well. So if you kind of like the conversation we've had today, then you're going to be into what I have happening over there. Yeah, I kind of suspect that it's the area that once you start to get into it, you get really into it. So I imagine a lot of people will be checking it out. So thanks so much for coming on. And I'm sure our paths will will cross again. When hopefully. we can, yeah. Yeah, in, <laughs> in real life. Well, thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to that. I hope you found uh, our discussion informative and it kind of helped. If you're one of those people that um, wants to read more about perimenopause, then I would definitely recommend Maisie's book. Um, She's also written a great book about periods as well, um, which you can find at all good retailers. And I'm also going to give a little shout out to my book, which is coming out at the end of March, 31st of March to be precise. And it's called How to Be a Boss at Aging and uh, basically covers lots of the stuff that I've covered in the podcast so infertility uh, relationships anxiety cosmetic tweakments all sorts of stuff and it's quite fun as well so I'm hoping it's the kind of book you want to read now that we are fingers crossed coming out of lockdown slowly and maybe starting to look around a bit and uh, think god I need something a bit more uh, cheery maybe for a little while Um, it's the perfect thing to read in bed just pick it up have a little snoop and put it down again not too demanding or tactical Anyway, that was my own little plug there for myself and my book. And thank you for joining me and I will see you again next week. Bye bye.